No, we don't need to clap this time. Okay. Coming to you alive from somewhere over there in the past, this is Control Structure, episode 92, for August 15th, 2015. Big week to everyone listening. To eat all the delicious meats we're talking about, please see the show notes at thenexus.tv slash cs92. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me this week is the other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Steve. Hi. 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 And we also have Chris over there somewhere. He's he's waving and being thrilled at playing FTL. So, uh, yeah, uh, not so long this time. Yes, it uh, was actually two weeks. No, wait, no, it was longer. Did we do one in between? I think so. Yeah, I I I feel like we did one remotely, so it actually was two weeks. Yeah. Pretty sure. So, were you actually in town that week? I actually ended up not being in town that week because I switched projects I was working on. Yeah. And so, like, that first couple weeks thing, we weren't really doing Scrum. And then this day, today, we had our sprint retrospective for our not Scrum past few weeks. <laughs> and so, of course, there was no acceptance criteria and there was no story. And we kind of got some stuff working. And so that was interesting. Well, since you shared something that happened at your work, I guess I'm obliged to do so. Uh, So this past week we have, you know, we as in I and my company have uh, launched ChalkTalkSports.com on the uh, new Demandware site. So, you know, let's see, it was actually was Monday, not Monday, Wednesday morning. Uh, It was, uh, you know... It was, it was a very one of those early 2 a.m. launches. 2 a.m. Why why is it launched 2 a.m.? Because like that's sort of a not busy time of the day. So they figure you're not going to get hit very much. Yeah. And so does someone sit up and wait, or is it just like a you launch it, go to bed, and then in the morning no, see how bad it how no, bad it is? My manager and the lead programmer were up at the time to actually do it. So, you know, and, uh, you know, I was technically on call. So I'm like, if I'm awakened by my phone going off, uh, I might be a little bit mad. Uh, speaking of my phone, I guess it's not here. Um, so then, like, I woke up that morning and I'm like, okay, the sun's up. And then was immediately distraught because my alarm was going off. (laughs) So you ever wake up like the second before your alarm goes off? I have woken up the second before my alarm goes off. And then it's like, oh, I want to go back to sleep. Wait a sec, it's going to ring in one more minute. (laughs) No point. So, yeah, it was one of those. So, I text my manager, you know, so that went well. So, apparently it mostly did. You couldn't check out with PayPal, though, and, like, other little nitpicky things, but Considering all the customization that we had to do, it went off pretty well. That's good. So I guess the question I have, it's a brand new website. Like Google probably hasn't indexed it yet. 
There may be some links to different places, or is it is it an existing site that was converted? I guess that's my question. Uh, we do have like the redirects and stuff set up because I was the one who had to do those. Okay, so I, I guess in answering what my kind of thought was there, so you did have a stream of customers coming to the new site like right away after you switched it. So you like presumably prob- probably had more than just like one guy buying a flag before. The next morning, so you actually had like a lot of people checking out, probably. Uh, at least, at least in like the very first day. Okay. So, and uh, yeah, we're still, you know, working on some of the little, you know, quirks, like you know, the USPS shipping for those not in the continental forty-eight states. Uh, so yeah, nice. Ah, uh, let's see, something. Let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Uh, like a Star Citizen. So last Saturday, uh, maybe last Saturday, maybe a week before or something, uh, Star Citizen uh, did their you know huge you know presentation at Gamescon over in uh, I forget where in Germany, but uh, yeah, so they showed off quite a bit the social module and the uh, uh, what should I call it? Not the FPS. Uh, the multi-crewed uh, ship demo, which, you know, both of them are pretty, uh, pretty great. You know, especially the multi-crew one is, you know, even better because, you know, it actually shows you walking out of a space station and, you know, seeing this huge planet, like, right behind you. Um, so, you know, again, this is the, you know, the huge crowdfunded thing that's maybe 87 to $90 million now. So... Uh, let's see, then it, I don't think they actually showed off much of the FPS, but you know, because this is, you know, supposedly a first person universe, it sort of ties into everything else. You know, it it, it looks kind of neat, like what you said, the first person universe. It's like a lot of games they focus on just airplanes, or they focus just on like rock, running around and shooting people. This seems like they're trying to do everything you're getting inside of stuff, you climb inside of things different things to do is kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, and then, like you saw there, you know, like an engineering maintenance panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually has, like, real stuff in it interacting. So, yep. like, there's jobs that are focused all around, like, you know, how should I say, not piloting a ship, not shooting a gun, but, like, actually making sure the ship actually stays in a usable state. You know, so you're like the engineer down in the engine room, you know, rerouting power to shields and stuff. You can be play Scotty in Star Trek. Pretty much. Uh, so, you know, that's the sort of thing that they're going for. And, you know, this sort of proves that, uh, you know, even though that they said that the, you know, first person module is, quote, delayed indefinitely. And if you're familiar with the uh, gaming industry terminology you know what the euphemism of that means, but, like, they're actually saying this, no, this is literally, you know, we're still working on this, we just don't know when, like, our bug list will be, you know, finished. You know, it's not exactly, you know, going to to be finished when we think it's going to. Uh, so, yeah. Which is uh, actually kind of funny, because in software engineering, your estimates are normally wrong. So they actually have a realistic, yeah, we don't know when it's going to get done. So, I mean, they, I think they were originally targeting this for spring. So, you know, it's fall, you know, granted that is a delay. It's not like the end of the world 
Raspberry. 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 So, uh, the Windows 10 IoT. Uh, Internet of Things. Internet of Things. So, so I'm sure to see what the. So, if you've you know been under a rock for a little while, you realize that Windows 10 was released. So now I'm just running back with this. Wasn't uh, the uh, the Windows 10 already released for the Pi? The OS, or is this the development side of it was released with 2015? Yeah, Windows it was. Studio? Okay, it was like the preview edition version, something. Okay, and so now they can actually code for it. Was, I was looking through. It was kind of neat. They had ear hockey tables, which the Carnegie Science Center has a similar robotic thing where it, like runs the arm really fast and. Uh, Grabs the air hockey, and then I was looking through, and the, they had another project that someone had done with a rover robot thing that runs around the floor and turns every time it's going to hit something. And I saw a video that towards the end, the guy's walking, and he's like walking over, and it's like avoiding him as he's stepping. It's like turning and like getting out of his way. It was kind of interesting. Cool. And so something else that you can do with the Raspberry Pi is you can use it as a sort of fake hard drive to a 1981 IBM PC. So, uh, I guess this guy was, you know, just trying to, you know, do something with this old hardware that he had lying around. And, uh, like, apparently there is, like, some sort of open source project that will allow you to sort of, you know, fake a hard drive, or at least the, uh, uh, how should I say, the protocols to a hard drive uh, for an 81 IBM PC. Uh, so, like, you had to actually get, like, some sort of specialized Ethernet card to do it. It says something about, like, uh, he said that a lot of the Ethernet cards have empty sockets in them. And so somehow he was able to put his chip with his hardware on it, but he shifted it by, like, two bits because of something. And yeah. He sounded like he, uh, he was the guy that knows what he's doing. Was so, yeah, unfortunately he says that, you know, it only runs at, like, 128K per second. So it's, uh, like, slower than the floppy drives or something. Floppy drives are slow. I remember using them and how slow that they uh, they that. they would be. This or like that. Another interesting thing about this article, kind of off topic to the pie, but uh, he said that he wrote the post using his old IBM system, which is kind of kind of interesting. Cool. So the company formerly known as Google is now called Alphabet. Google still exists, though; it's just a little bit smaller, technically. Uh, so this was sort of like a surprise thing that uh, I think it was uh, yeah Larry Page must have been you know uh, came out with a post saying yeah we're sort of splitting up Google a little bit so like some of their you know really out there stuff like uh, uh, let's see from the blog post here you know stuff like their glucose sensing contact lenses is now technically separate from Google along with their uh, calico. Thing, which is apparently focused on life longevity. So, you know, it functionally operates almost the same. So, uh, you know, it's just that pretty much the only thing that really changed was like their stock thing, like their, you know, like their stock listing. Yeah. And it said, though, some stocks like on the NASDAQ, uh, it said the trade name was still G O O G L N G O O G. So even that, it seems like it didn't drastically change to some extent. Yeah, they pretty much changed the name a little bit mm-hmm. and kept everything the same. I got the impression the big change was more of an internal change of management 
and just how they're structuring and handing down the power chain, which may have already been there, but this is more an official kind of, this is how we structure the company to make a work thing. Yeah. So, uh, say, do you use LibreOffice? I have on occasion, even though Google Docs is pretty good. Yeah, so because my company doesn't give me an office license, you know, because we also pretty much use Google Docs, um, you know, but occasionally we will get, you know, because we interact with, you know, other big companies, you know, we get, you know, Microsoft Doc format stuff all the time. Uh, so LibreOffice 5 has finally been released. I remember with the, the fourth one that they're, uh, like, especially with, with the layout inside documents, like, massively improved. Like, you know, like, I just had to smack myself. It was so good. Um, so uh, with 5, you know, that's pretty much all I ever wanted. So, so, so when you're saying layouts, could you... Like, like, what exactly would you see that would so, be different? So, like, if you open up, you know, you know, a dock in LibreOffice, like, have you ever noticed that things have been, like, crunched and rammed together? Yeah, like, the conversion from the Microsoft to LibreOffice is kind of, like, not exactly what I saved over there is not what I saved Yeah, it got massively better. Okay, so so the compatibility with at the least dock. at least opening it okay is I'm not exactly sure with you know LibreOffice saving and yeah. opening in Office. I used to have so much trouble with that in college. I like save things as rich text or something, and the teachers would get mad at me because I didn't save it as docx. <laughs> and yeah, lots of fun. So you know the this was you know of course you know back you know back in the day when it was like still called OpenOffice.org. That, uh, you know, it's actually when I had my uh, first job over here that they offered everyone, you know, like a full, like professional edition of Office 2010 for like, what, 10 or 20 bucks. And I was like sort of skeptical. It's like, yeah, I don't need it. Like I have, you know, open office and stuff. But then I'm like, wait, I don't actually want to stay working at this place. Uh and, like, I remembered that pretty much every recruiter in, like, HR department wants, you know, doc-formatted res- resumes. So if $10 guarantees that my resume looks like what I want it to, 10 bucks it is. <laughs> Which is a good point for $10. That's not so bad. So, and even for 20 bucks, you know, that's still pretty good. True. A job can net a lot more than $20. Yes. Uh, so, speaking of uh, open source releases, we have OpenSSH 7. Uh, so, you know, everyone's pretty much default SSH server. Uh, like, pretty much the main fix for this, in this rather, is a really nasty bug where you can give yourself 10,000 keyboard interactive devices. So it can help you brute force your way into a system. So that sounds like you're typing in 10,000 passwords at the same time? Pretty much. And, like, it kind of effectively circumvents, like, any kind of timeout since, you know, like, you generally only have about 30 seconds to log in. Oh, like if you have any, okay, got it. If you yeah. have any remaining keyboard interactive devices, it'll apparently wait for them. And by wait for them, it means that you can go type in on the other keyboards while you're letting the other ones time out is that what you mean uh apparently okay so probably by the time you hit the end of the ten thousand, the first 
one's probably timeout period is getting close to being done. So, well, not quite. Like, you know, it would probably take a little while because we're talking about network time. Okay, order... so it may never actually hit the time limit. Then it'd probably be all network. Well, no, it it might hit the timeout. Like it, you're supposed to be cut off at this time. Okay, but apparently you could still, you know. It would wait for all these ten thousand keyboard interactive devices to close, even though you're beyond the initial timeout limit. Okay, so so you get ten thousand tries, and then you have to wait thirty seconds. Well, no, it'll take. You know, the idea is like it'll take ten thousand tries, but it'll be more than thirty seconds to do so. Oh, okay. So yeah, apparently it wasn't like a hard cutoff or something. Interesting. Uh, anyways, uh, more open source news. Uh, I believe Firefox is now at version 40, but with version 42, uh, it uh, will require extensions to be signed. Uh, mostly all you got to do is submit it to addons.mozilla.org. So pretty much what they're doing is to cut down on the amount of malicious extensions for Firefox. And so with a signing process, include probably like a code review by Mozilla... I uh, just like a high level. Does it do anything bad? I think they already do that, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, this is mostly, you know, you know, again to cut down on the uh, malicious stuff. So, like, you know, when you download like a, uh, you know, say Java, and you accidentally install the Ask toolbar, you know, Firefox won't exactly let you do that anymore because that toolbar probably wasn't signed. Oh, okay. So it's more the third-party adware stuff that people probably don't want. Would they refuse to sign it then? Yeah. Okay. So that that's kind of nice. So uh, I've heard that you know you can still distribute your extensions elsewhere, but it has to you know have been gone through you know the add-on approval process. So in order to get around this, you can run it on an unbranded nightly or developer edition. Because people who are developers are the only ones that probably should be able to un run unsigned extensions. And we're not saying that just because we are developers. Like, that's how they're actually created. <laughs> yes, at some point in time it is unsigned. Uh, let's see. Apparently another one of the uh, projects Mozilla has is called Lightbeam. So this is a project that allows you to you know, sort of connect all of the third-party trackers and cookies and uh, so forth uh, that are communicating with your browser as you go across the internet. So you can sort of see, like, where your information goes and, you know, how you're sort of, you know, who may be keeping track of you. So have you tried the extension out? I have not as of yet, uh, but, you know, sort of like my third-party tracking has sort of gone way down ever since I started using NoScript. Okay, so it probably wouldn't be a super good test for you then, just given the fact that you're probably not running many scripts. Yeah, although uh, no script, I noticed almost immediately that it cuts down on practically most ads, you know, just as a rule. Yeah, it would make sense. You know, so, uh, let's see. Uh, you have a Lenovo laptop. I do have a Lenovo laptop. Um, apparently you may have missed out on the, uh, was it the Superfish thing? I think I did miss out on the Superfish. So they are apparently up to bad things again. Uh, Superfish, by comparison, is nothing to this. At least you could remove that one. So 
uh, Lenovo has sort of hijacked a anti-theft feature that, you know, sort of Microsoft created in that, you know, even though you might, you know, format and reinstall Windows as much as you'd like, there's something in the BIOS that, you know, searches for like some file in the system 32 directory and replaces it with, you know, like Lenovo's version such that your computer will automatically download like all this, you know, Lenovo's pretty much uh, OEM uh, applications, even though you nuked Windows and did not, you know, install them yourself. So now the you, you, the part about the Microsoft feature, my understanding, perhaps it wasn't. I didn't read the uh, the one part of it close enough. It seemed like it was more of a Lenovo idea to do the the uh, recovery for like a stolen laptop if someone wiped it and put Windows on it again, just do uh, yeah. clear out stuff. Let's see. This is all governed by a specification called ACPI, which we've you've probably come across, the Advanced Configuration and Power Interface. Microsoft defined a new ACPI table called the Windows Platform Binary Table that contains information about a firmware embedded executable. When it boots, Windows looks for, you know, this table. If it finds one, it copies the executable onto the system and runs it. So that that sounds to me that this is even worse than what Lenovo's doing. That sounds like a gold mine for someone writing a virus. Uh, there's probably, you know, this is probably a read-only kind of feature. So, like, you know, the only people who could, you know, potentially put anything into this is the system manufacturer. Possibly, but then again, I just the other day I was listening to a video about these hackers that figured a way to. Um, network boot a computer that didn't support network booting by pushing their custom stuff into a the NIC and then it would push it <laughs> in the system memory and power it down. <laughs> so there's a, sometimes a way I don't know. It seems like a scary feature. I get what they're doing though with the that sounds like amazingly device specific. That that one there was device specific. It depended upon a certain NIC being in the the, the motherboard. Yeah, and probably a specific model of motherboard also. Yes. So it uh, turns out that cars are very hackable, like in the computer science sense. Uh, so keyless entry and immobilizers on Volkswagen cars, even though they use encryption, it's like horribly weak and they are insecure. And, you know, someone can essentially break into your car. You know, even though, you know, you might not be around, they don't have the key and, you know, stuff like that. So that, it seems kind of similar to the idea I'd had with the, the Raspberry Pi and making it so that you can hook it with your phone and unlock things. But uh, just like off the shelf stuff, like w with what I was thinking, it seems like there would be plenty of ways to do something off the shelf and actually use good encryption. Yeah, so this apparently affects their RFID uh, chips in the keys in the transponders so you know this is not going to be like an easy cheap fix for them okay so the, so the the fly is just the fact that they're using the RFID chips or yeah uh, well it involves those okay so apparently they only use a 96 bit cryptographic system and I'm not exactly sure of any kind of standard encryption mechanism that uses 96 bits hmm so maybe it's a custom home job again. Probably. So I was I was listening to something the other day. They were talking about uh, 
they were talking about uh, like kind of IoT stuff, except for more on the range of radio connected devices. And they were saying how the the tendency is for manufacturers to build these devices that connect with other devices with weaker encryption algorithms because then your communications is faster, it's just plain easier to do. Yeah, especially with embedded devices. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of the scenario they were giving. But then the problem with that is it's also ripe for a hacker to get in because, hey, it's not quite as secure. Uh, so uh, let's move on to another manufacturer, you know, lest, you know, lest, you know, only one of them, you know, have a problem. Apparently, a lot of Jeeps have been recalled because their cellular connectivity has been like a literal huge open door uh, into their, you know, like the onboard computer systems. Uh, so apparently it all comes down to something called Uconnect, a connected car system sold in a number of vehicles. Uh, produced for the U.S. market, uh, uses the Sprint network to connect to the Internet and allow owners to interact with their vehicle over their smartphone, uh, performing tasks like remote engine start, obtaining the location of the vehicle, activating anti-theft features, and so forth. But vulnerabilities in Uconnect, which Fiat Chrysler has issued a patch for, has made it possible for an attacker to scan Sprint's network for Uconnect vehicles, obtaining their location and the VIN number. Uh, Miller and Valasek demonstrated that they could then attack the systems within the car via the IP address of the vehicle, allowing them to turn the engine of the car off, turn the brakes on or off, remotely activate the windshield wipers, and take control of the vehicle's information display and entertainment system. That sounds like that could be an incredibly dangerous thing like when you're talking about slamming someone's brakes on. Like, you wait till they get on a highway, like, yeah. watch them do 75, and then just turn their brakes on all the way, and just watch them crash. Um, yeah, like, uh, let's see. This was actually demonstrated by someone, like, a news reporter, you know, driving to somewhere, and, like, they actually, you know, sort of knew what was going on, mm-hmm. but it actually happened on a highway. <laughs> and this is, so they knew what was going on as in... Prior to, or they yeah. realized the car was being taken. They the incident. Like apparently, they were contacted by a few guys. Like, yeah, uh, like we have a news story for you. Like, this is what it's about. Come see us. And apparently, they hacked the car along the way. Uh oh. Yeah. So I bet he wasn't too happy about that. Um, law enforcement wasn't exactly too happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, he could have killed the guy. So, yeah, scary stuff. You know, this is. Pretty much why I am not enthused over the whole Internet of Things phenomenon. So, you know, this is, you know, mostly because, you know, these, you know, this, you know, technology is going into, you know, appliances, you know, stuff that sticks around for more than 10 years. And I'm not, you know, how should I say, technology companies aren't exactly known for supporting things on that long of a time scale. Unless it's, like, really huge. See, I, I was listening to something the other day kind of about that. And it was saying about how this was in the context of, like, the government and defense contractors and technology. And it was saying how uh, really there's no incentive for a technology company to make their things secure. Because every time there's a vulnerability, what happens? So the enemy has your tech and they can use it or whatever. Maybe they steal it. 
And so the government's answer is, oh, well, make us something better. And so they pay the companies to make us something better. And so you basically throw away the old thing and then buy the better thing. So then there's really an incentive to not have the old thing break in the first place. But then you're talking about people who may not be able to afford a new thing, like a new car. See, exactly. So that that's the thing. There needs to be some... I don't know how you you make that work. You make it open source. That might be the way to make that work. So then you can get free lifetime updates because real people that drive in their real car might actually care about fixing things in their own car because yeah. they might want it. Ah, so let's go ahead and move on here a little bit. Uh, you installed Windows 10. I did install Windows 10. I put it on my laptop, though. It had Windows 8 on it, so I figured it can't hurt it any worse than it always is hurts. So. And FYI, the one he's using right now. Yes, the one I'm using right now. So it, it seems uh, not too bad overall so far. Uh, the UI is different. The start menu, though, I'd say is quite a bit better. Uh, it doesn't lag as much, and as we pointed out in the pre-show, probably because you're limited to only 500 applications in the start menu, so maybe that makes it faster. Um, so it's it, it seems okay so far. It's uh, so now one interesting uh, article that I saw recently, though, was there is a feature in Windows 10 that lets you share your Wi-Fi with your friends. And so I guess there's a pop-up that happens uh, at some point in time where to offer to connect your Facebook account with your friends and to share your Wi-Fi with your other friends. And it's not actually giving them your password, though. It's just giving them, like, an encrypted version of your password. Uh, so they're in the article, they're kind of arguing that uh, maybe this is more secure than just giving your friend a password. But then, like, the counter-argument to that is, well, what if you friend someone and then you uh, go to their workplace and then you can hop on the work network? So it seems kind of like a bad thing from that perspective. But it's not quite as bad as some people make it out to be. It does actually ask you instead of just automatically doing it. There is a lot of hype with Windows 10 and the things it automatically does. And in this case, it appears that it's not doing it without you asking anyways. So, mm, let's see. You know, it, it does require some sort of like third-party connection. Yeah, and so. that's like with the... the the Facebook, I mean, if you don't type in your Facebook password and tell it, it's not going to actually do it. So, uh, like, I'm not exactly sure what you chose, at least for this, but uh, apparently Windows 10 uses, you know, you know, obviously uses the Internet for a lot. You know, I'm not exactly sure, you know, if Cortana, you know, talks to remote servers, you know, for, like, all the voice recognition and stuff. It does. Uh, the way I, I disabled all the reporting back to Microsoft, and so part of that deal was you can actually use Cortana because I disabled some certain things. So, but even then, like, if you tell Windows 10 in every possible way that you do not want to contact Microsoft for anything at all, it apparently still does. So it just cannot let go. So, like, apparently, like, every 30 minutes or so, it'll report back. Uh, say, I believe it was, like, uh, like everything that you searched for or something. And then it'll do... Uh, I believe it'll do that over, like, unencrypted HTTP. Unencrypted? Yeah. That's not very good. Yeah. It's one thing to be 
giving my stuff away, but it's another thing to send it unencrypted. Yeah. Uh, uh, tele- telemetry settings, that's it. So, I mean, that might be binary formatted, so like it wouldn't be like exactly plain text. But still, if someone knew yeah. how it was, uh, it's they're going to be find a way to figure it out. If, if, if they know that that traffic's there, they can decode it. Yeah. So, have you seen a hamburger menu in That's, Windows 10? Uh, in Windows 10. I actually see a hamburger menu on my Firefox right here. Yep, it's also on Chrome, too. And uh, when I even, you know, sort of read this article, you know, I think it might have been... Uh, like earlier this year or something, that Firefox still had that little gear icon up in the corner. Yep. And Chrome had it, you know, several years ago. And I'm like, well, at least Firefox doesn't have a hamburger. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, you know, whole question is, you know, is this actually, you know, you know, intuitive for what it does? Uh, you know, Apparently, even you know some people like ourselves don't really know what a hamburger menu is. Do you think that your non-technical users would? And why would anybody tap or click it? I think the only reason why I kind of know what it is from the symbol is because uh, I've used Android, and in Android that seems to be a thing. And so the you know first time I saw it in like Firefox or Chrome or wherever on websites. Uh, like you see it and like, oh, I know what that is because I've been using my phone and I, I know it from that. Yeah. But I do see the not intuitive part because it's just got like lines, lines, lines that doesn't exactly tell you what it does. Yeah. So, you know, this, this guy, you know, pretty much, you know, has like a whole diatribe against them. And, you know, everyone looks at him funny. It's like, well, why would you not use this? And, you know, you know, pretty much goes through, you know, the natural uh, ways that you, you know, if you're looking for something, you sort of look for information smells. You know, if you're intimately aware of, you know, like what you're sort of looking for, you sort of, you know, look for like the first direct thing. It's like, okay, well then do the next thing and so forth. It's like, well, why would this icon with three lines help me to, you know, guide me to where I'm going? But it, well, what's true with like a lot of symbols, like think of your play button, it's a sideways triangle. Triangle. If you don't have any outside influence that tells you that's a play button, like I mean, are you actually going to be able to guess that that means play and square means stop? That's more like a cultural thing, probably. See, see that's what I'm getting at, though. Yeah. So, like what I said about in Android, that symbol has come to mean settings or something like that. To me, in Android, I think the same thing applies uh, if you're. You know, if you've used a smartphone like Android that uses that a lot, it is becoming a cultural symbol in that sense. Sort of, but at least with the triangle and square, you're talking about a much wider group of people. Which is true, but like, I mean, like Western civilization large and so, not Android users. Which is true, but it, this is becoming wider in that perspective, like Firefox, Chrome. I'm, you know, you're starting to see the websites. It, it does seem to be a thing that's happening, like people getting on board with that. I guess that's kind of where I'm getting. I mean, like your VCR probably, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing your VCR is probably your your starting point of that. Yeah. And so not everyone had VCRs at first, and now everyone has, well, no one has a VCR. Similar to VCR. <laughs> Similar to VCR. 
No one has a VCR anymore, but <laughs> of course. But uh, <laughs> for everyone else, that that's still a symbol. It still means stuff. I mean, we have it on our computers. Uh, you know, open a VLC. There's a square. There's a triangle. It's become a symbol. And so, I guess from that perspective, that's how I would see it is something that's recognizable because it's bleeding over from the Android world into other places. Yeah, and you know, even backs it up by saying that you know, general users don't know what it is because they don't click it. They don't, you know, even when it's sort of pointed out to them, they don't, you know, think of using it. You know, they actually give, you know, example of NBC News and follow that up with, you know, I think it was like design of the Facebook app and like a few others and like measuring like how often it was used, you know, not just the icon, but like the whole app, the, like itself. See, I think that the key thing is people don't normally click on something like that unless they're missing something. And so if like in the case of Android, it's, it's typically saying it's the case of Firefox. It's like setting stuff. So I, when I open a new window, when I open a new tab, I like, I don't know if I've ever clicked on the new window button, like ever. You and use the hotkey? Yeah. I mean, you use your hotkeys. Why would you click on a menu button to do something common that you do all the time? Now, if I was going for options, yeah, I click on that. I don't know the hotkey for options because I hardly ever go into options. I'm not sure what it is because it's not control O or control P. Does it show if you hover? Nope. Oh, yeah, it must not be a hotkey for options because it shows the other ones when you hover, like new window, it shows a hotkey and things. But anyways, I guess the point that I was making is uh, it's when you're looking for uncommon things is typically when you're going to pull up something like this. And so it is something I'd expect not to use much. But I do agree, it's not as noticeable. Like on websites and stuff, It's unless you're looking for something, you don't bother clicking it. And even if you bring up the old school menu... There is no explicit control hotkey, but I guess you could get to it by control T O or Alt T O. Yeah, the Alt, alt T O. Sorry. Ah. Doc's going crazy now. <laughs> alt T O. There you go. Yep. Or you could. Yeah, that's close enough. Obviously, you could write an unsigned extension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, so, once upon a time, uh, remember Ubuntu? Uh, yeah. It... Or, rather specifically, Canonical, the company behind uh, Ubuntu? Yes. Uh, so, once upon a time, they had a cloud storage service called Ubuntu One. And, like, apparently used Amazon AWS and stuff. And, apparently, it was going for a few years, but then they shut it down, like, maybe two years ago. I, I do remember them shutting it down. Uh, so they've finally gotten around to open sourcing the actual server code behind it. Uh, apparently the client was already open source. So, uh, this is like, you know, sort of almost ready to go, uh, file storage, you know, program that you can use. So that means that you probably just have to figure out some way to redirect your client in. And so you could host your own uh, file story storage syncing thing on like your local network or whatnot. You could set up a, a file server and yeah. then have all of your your local backups. You manage them, and you don't have to worry about the government or someone. Yeah, they them as your they even uh, put in. They even you know have this all set up in the README. So you know, apparently, it's all based on Python. I, that's pretty neat because that that opens up a lot. Because that's basically your I. Uh, 
like your automatic backup thing that just happens for you automatically. That, that's a yeah. pretty neat concept. Yeah, I I should you know really get on this because I've been sort of looking for like a sort of private file storage server, which is exactly what this is. No, I'm guessing there's got to be Windows clients for this, I would think. Uh, apparently, the Wikipedia article says that there is. Okay. It seems like, I mean, being open source, it's maybe as simple as recompiling something. I don't know. Yeah, since it you know runs on Python, there's a good chance that... Oh, that's true. It may be. Not... natively. Yeah. I wonder what the efficiency is if it's running on Python. Hmm. Fairly good. Although, sadly, probably slower than JavaScript. some podcast feedback uh, this week uh, from Ian Buck. We essentially got into the conversation of the various uh, editions or versions of Windows 10, which Ian says, I don't think that there is an enterprise version of Windows 10, just Home and Pro. Well, it turns out there's a handful of Windows 10 editions, actually, but only two of them are separately purchasable by individual end-users. So, you know, you got your home and pro, and then you got mobile for, uh, you know, cell phones and tablets and stuff. Uh, but then, you know, there's uh, Windows 10 Enterprise Edition, which, you know, is only available through, like, volume key licenses to, like, big companies and stuff. Uh, uh, there's Windows 10 Education, which is, like, for schools and stuff. And then there's Mobile Enterprise for, like, you know... You know, very serious, you know, phone, you know, smartphone mm. stuff. It'd be the companies that want to super manage all of their things. You know, like companies moving off of BlackBerry or something. So, uh, we also mentioned that, like, all the Shield tablets were recalled. And Ian says, I'll let you know when I get my replacement Shield tablet. Uh, well, apparently, a few days ago, Ian uh, posted something to Google+. Plus that suggests that he already has that. Uh, or maybe another Shield tablet or something. So I thought you were maybe supposed to send those back and they'd send you out another one, maybe? Uh, let's see. So Ian also went to the Steam Gauge, and he says that the Steam Gouage says uh, over the past five years, you know, he's spent like 1,500 hours on, uh, let's see, 320-some items, and, like, essentially almost the same uh, value and uh, number of items, pretty much as I do. <laughs> so, uh, if you would like to submit any feedback to us uh, that, you know, we can sort of talk about it, uh, go ahead and visit us on the nexus.tv and click on probably our show notes page and there's a link there that you can send feedback directly to us and uh, don't forget that today is international backup awareness day so back up your stuff uh so yeah hi mom how you doing i'm not sure why your nickname is toad toad yes 
You, this this sounds like a good story. You're gonna have to explain this one to me. So, uh, like, apparently, you know, my mom, like, her group of friends, let's just say, I uh, believe it's, like, mostly with her sister and, like, maybe some other friends okay. uh, that they ride with, that somehow my mom picked up the nickname Toad. And I was thinking of this uh, yesterday because I saw a toad hopping around my car when I got stuff out of my trunk. Like, I looked down, I saw something moving, and I saw it stop, and then move rapidly and stop, move rapidly and stop. I'm like, wait, that's a toad. <laughs> and, I'm, and then, like, later, you know, just ruminating, you know, like, on thoughts, I'm like, why is my mom's nickname Toad? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I believe that's just about it. So you going to be doing anything interesting? Um, I guess driving back tonight, probably have to drive all the way up to Butler, given that uh, the top of Pittsburgh is probably closed down pretty good. It's already kind of busy, plus the Steeler game is not going to make it any better, so, yeah, pretty much driving on. So, uh, let's see, looks like uh, Chris is having a lot of fun with uh, playing games on my uh, new laptop. I just killed like three dozen people. I feel so good about myself. Well, good for you. Glad. They're mantis people, and not to be that guy, but does it really count if they're manti? Mantis? Mantises. Mantisi, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure that the English rules would say mantises. Yeah, well, these guys don't speak English, so there you go. So it's okay to just kill them since they don't speak English? I think that's the moral of what this this game is trying to teach me. I think that's called racist. I see. I I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Racist. You know, I, I'm not sure what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I'm just playing a game, man. Doesn't count if you're playing a game. So, you know, I'm sort of enjoying the times that you know I spend on the couch. You know, just you know, playing old, if not if not old, then sort of low spec games. Uh, so apparently, uh, Intel figured out how to make GPUs that don't suck. You know, they might be a little slow, but at least the feature set's good. So, uh, let's see. Other than that, you know, after the whole Chalk Talk launch at work, I don't think we're going to be doing anything that big for a while. Uh, maybe, maybe a celebratory company lunch. There you go. Yeah. So... Uh, can't exactly decline that, so apparently there is such a thing as a free lunch. Well, technically, you did kind of do some work there. <laughs> well, celebratory, anyway. Okay. There is such a thing as a celebratory free lunch. <laughs> the, the free lunch you had to work for. So, uh, with that, I guess that's it, so have a good one. You too. You too.